Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. We've somehow gotten it all backwards. Our quest for purpose and fulfillment has led us to squander our lives, toiling to build for ourselves our own personal kingdoms. We want to be important. We want to be first. We want to be known. And so we've forgotten that we were never put here to build our own kingdoms. We were put here to build God's kingdom. And to the world, God's kingdom is backwards, upside down, if you will. Jesus flipped the script and told us that the first will be last and the least will be greatest. And so we have to unlearn everything the world has taught us and learn what it means to live in God's upside down kingdom. Good morning, afternoon, evening, uh, whenever it is that you are checking this out, church. Uh, We're glad that you're tuning in with us. Um, Let me ask, have you ever had one of those situations where uh, you just had to appreciate how in control God was? Uh, One of those situations that just happened to remind you about what was going on with him or, uh, or something like that? Uh, Something specifically that just reminded you that he's got all of this in his hands, that you couldn't have planned that out any better. When, when things seemed wrong, he had it all in control. Uh, I, I'm thinking specifically for myself, one time that I'm remembering is at the very end of last year, I was starting to gear up for deciding what was my sermon series going to be for first quarter of 2020 and even going through to the the first half of the year. I wanted to figure out how am I going to press into Easter? Uh, What is is that all going to be about and everything? And I decided that I wanted to move into Easter by talking about the kingdom. So the next step was to figure out what Sundays that was going to take up. So I I picked Easter Sunday and then I counted back for however many Sundays I wanted the sermon series to last. And then the next step was going through and picking out what are some of the different things that I can talk about concerning the kingdom. And I just compiled a big list. And then I said, okay, I have seven Sundays and way more topics than seven. So I need to condense those down into a way that will tell one unified story leading up to Easter. So I got all that prepped at the end of 2019 and nobody knew where we would, where we would be right now at the end of 2019, except obviously God knew where we would be. And so I was reminded when I go back and I look at my notes and I, and I'm wondering, what am I preaching on this week? What did I, what did I plan to preach on this week? And I had planned at the end of 2019 to preach on anxiety in the kingdom for this week. And so that whole thing just kind of shifted my perspective and reminded me that even in all this chaos, even in everything that's going on, 
God is still in control. We have a king and he is still sitting on his throne and he's got all of this under control. Uh, and hopefully that reminds you of the same. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Uh, if you have a physical Bible with you, great. If you don't, you have the freedom to pause now and go grab one if you want. Uh, but at the very least, we'll throw the verses up here for you so that you can still follow along if you're one of those people that doesn't want to follow along in a Bible. Uh, but So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, we read this. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, uh, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? More value. I, I think more than anything else in the world right now, what we need to hear are these words from Jesus. Are you not of more value? And, and just to realize and, and to hear very clearly the words of Jesus here. You are valuable. You are valuable. You, you are worth the effort and energy of Jesus. You're worth the life and death of Jesus. You are valuable. And it's easy to feel alone in times like this. But to remember that regardless how we feel, we're not alone because we have that value and our King loves us and is present with us. You know, it's funny that uh, it always used to drive me crazy when I would try to be polite in conversation and I would ask parents about their kids. And uh, this was before I had any of my own kids, but I would ask them just to kind of be polite and they would go on and on about how smart their kids are and how great their kids are and how funny their kids are. And they would start showing me pictures and everything. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I don't, I don't actually care about your kids. Like I was just trying to be polite and I wasn't prepared for you to give me the whole life story of every kid you've ever had. And uh, here we are. But then it happened. I became a dad and everything changed, sort of. Probably not exactly the way you're thinking. Uh, people would ask me simple questions like how old my kids were and that was all I needed to get my foot in the door because I then became the guy who I wanted to tell you everything about my kids, give you their life story, tell you how cute and funny they are, how quick they're growing up, and tell you all the little cute stories about potty training and, and all that stuff like that. And I just needed you to know that I have the perfect family. Like nothing goes wrong in my family. My kids are the best and you should be jealous of how great my kids are. I became my own worst nightmare. And, you know, the funny thing is that you get me and another dad talking and we both start talking about our kids and you would think that this would be, that this would be good. This is some good common ground for us to, uh, to bond over and to enjoy. You'd be wrong. Uh, see, I do this thing where I passionately share everything about my kids and I spare no detail because let's face it, it's probably the most important information you'll receive today. Uh, but then this other dad, he has the audacity 
to tell me about his kids as if I have any interest. And, you know, he, he doesn't even need to try and one-up me or anything like that. The second he starts telling his stories, I've lost interest. I'm just, when is this going to be over? And like, I was only part of this conversation to tell you about my kids. I wasn't concerned with your kids. And so what happened? I went from zero to 60 in like 0.2 seconds. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, my kids are my kids. And your kids aren't. They're not my kids. And I love my kids more than I could ever express. But that doesn't mean that I like everyone else's kids. In fact, for the most part, I still find children terrifying. And my kids hold that supreme value that other kids don't. And, and you might think I'm a monster for this, but don't jump the gun too quick because you're in the same boat as me whether you like it or not. See, what happens is our kids belong to us and that gives them certain value. And, and yeah, like it bothers us, I hope, when we see the atrocities around the world, when, when we hear stories about how many kids are dying around the world, that should bother us. But when our kids just get the slightest thing happening to them, when somebody else bullies them at school, we are over the top. Things all of a sudden accelerate from zero to 60 in that 0.2 seconds that wasn't happening before when we were hearing about other kids around the world dying. Why? because our kids are so much more valuable to us. And I was recently reading the book Thirst by Scott Harrison, and he tells the stories of uh, these people in Africa who don't have clean water. And, and he tells just these heart-wrenching stories of the things that they have to go through, of the illnesses that they face and all those sorts of things. And, and he tells some stories about what happens to some of the children there. And well, as I'm reading through this book, you know, I'm, I'm reading the story of a young girl who's gone to get her family water. And on her way back, she drops the jug of water that she's been retrieving and is so distraught by the whole thing that she commits suicide. And, and yeah, this is, this is heart-wrenching. This bothers me. But then I shifted my thinking and I thought, what if that was my daughter? And then I had to drop everything that I was doing to try and keep myself from having a complete breakdown. Because when I thought to myself, what if that was my daughter? Suddenly things got a lot more real in my mind. Suddenly things got more serious because my kids have that value because they're mine. They're made in my image. And I love them just because of who they are. And you need to know that you have supreme value in the eyes of the Creator simply because you are His. Because you are made in His image. And every time He sees you hurt, He is broken out. He's broken by that reality. That's why Jesus came and is bringing the kingdom with Him. And see, I need you to understand something very clearly here. There is nothing that you can ever say or do that will ever cause God to love you any more than he loves you right now. But on the same token, there is nothing that you can ever say or ever do that will cause God to love you any less than he loves you right now. Because listen, you don't create your value. You were created with it. 
You can never lose it. And Jesus needs you to understand that before he jumps into anything else about the kingdom. In the kingdom, you are passionately loved and valuable and no one cherishes you or loves you more than the king. And it's important for us to remember in a time like this, that the king, the one who sits on the throne, loves you and will never leave you alone. He's concerned about the things that you're concerned about far more than you'll ever be concerned about those things. And then Jesus keeps going in this passage. And I want to key in on one verse, but, but I do want to read all of the verses together because I think it's, wor- it's a worthwhile reminder to see this all together during a time like this. So jumping down into verse 27, we're going to read Matthew 6, 27, all the way through 33. So starting in verse 27, It says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. So Jesus started this whole section with a therefore that we haven't actually addressed yet. The passage before all of this was Jesus teaching on storing up our treasures in heaven. He tells us uh, not to lay up treasures here on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. Then he continues his teaching by telling us uh, that uh, he tells us about the eye being the lamp of the body and that you can only serve one master. And so what Jesus is telling us is to watch what we watch, right? And, And I think that this is important right now. What are you watching? What are you consuming? Because what Jesus is telling us is that whatever we consume will ultimately consume us. If we are consuming with everything that we have, everything that the media has to offer us right now, that will ultimately consume us and take over our lives. But if we are consuming the kingdom and Jesus and what he is about, that in turn will consume our lives. And so, in reality, the context of this whole passage of the sparrows and the lilies and everything else, it's not, the text isn't necessarily about people panicking to buy all of their necessities so that they can survive, but it's more about the person who pursues these things for personal gain. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that it has no bearing on the person who is panic buying everything. Because ultimately, you need to ask the question, why? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Jesus says that it's because of what you have your focus on. Whether that be the media, whether that be the fear that others are sharing, whether that be the reality of mass hysteria, what is your focus? Because at the end of the day, your focus should be Jesus. And that's when he jumps into the therefore. That's when he tells us that therefore... Look at the sparrows, look at the birds, look at the lilies. And he tells us to bring our focus to the kingdom. 
He tells us not to be anxious, not to be worried about securing earthly things for ourselves, but he wants us to shift our focus. See, this is where the kingdom of God begins to get really upside down. Because everything inside me says that outside of my own survival, I have a family to worry about. I need to make sure that my kids are taken care of. But why? What what has my focus been that's driven me to think, act, and feel the way that I have been? And I love the way that Jesus seems to unpack these sorts of lessons. He's the master of stories, and he starts by asking, Hey, have you ever seen a bird? Like, a sparrow or something. Uh, ever seen one of those birds run a farm? Like plant the seeds, irrigate, water, harvest, etc. No? Hmm, that's interesting because uh, you notice they still have food, don't they? They still eat, don't they? And then he tells another story. He says, well, what about flowers? Like, like lilies. Have you ever seen those? Ever seen them fashion their own clothes? No? Hmm, that's interesting because they sure are gorgeous, aren't they? Do you know why? And Jesus tells us because he made them, because he takes care of them, because he provides for them. And then Jesus asks, if I do all of this for them, how much more valuable are you? How much more will I take care of you? He tells us to stop panicking and ask the, asking the question, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? But then he gives us an alternative. He says, listen, the Gentiles, the people who don't rely on God, who don't follow God, they live like that. They ask those questions. And they have to come up with answers. But you have God. So shouldn't, shouldn't your life be different? So instead of pursuing your own kingdom... Because ultimately, that's what that is. Pursue the kingdom of God. The idea isn't to just stop worrying and to sit back and watch God take care of everything while you stay in bed all day, every day. The lilies still do what they have to do. Photosynthesis is still something that they work out. The sparrows still go and they find their meals and eat and things like that. But at the end of the day, they're not worried about it. They just live their lives knowing that the earth is abundant and generous and that it has what they need to survive. And, and he's, Jesus is directing us to live in that sort of a way, to recognize that if we will just pursue the kingdom of God, we'll start to recognize that the king is providing for all of our needs actively and abundantly. And you can trust that when you work for a king like Jesus, you'll be taken care of. See, I've done marriage counseling a few times, and the hardest time to do it is when the couples getting married aren't Christians, because there's this juggling game that they have to work through, right? Uh, Even those of us who are Christians are probably familiar with the juggling game that I'm talking about. Like, how am I supposed to juggle being a good husband, while being a good employee, while being a good father, and, and all of this, and trying to put as much energy into work, and how much to leave of that energy for home and and how to work out all these things and then add in being a Christian and suddenly now there's just one more thing that I have to juggle and and how do I figure all of that out? That just seems like too much, but Jesus is telling us that's not how it works at all. Sure, it's juggling before we're Christians, but that's why Jesus tells us before this passage to check what we're consuming, 
what we're watching, because that's going to direct everything that we do. So Jesus is telling us to keep our focus on him, our focus on the kingdom of God, and the rest of these things will happen. The rest of these things will be added to you. Like, listen, I don't try to juggle loving God and loving my wife and loving my kids and being a good pastor. I don't juggle those things. What happens instead is I just decide, you know what? I am going to pour everything that I can into Jesus. And I just want to love Jesus with everything that I can and with everything that I have. And naturally what happens is by me loving Jesus more, I have more love to offer my wife. I have more love to offer my kids. I'm more passionate about pastoring. All of these things are a result and an overflow of loving Jesus. And that's what he's telling us. Focus on the kingdom of God. Pursue the kingdom of God. And what you're going to see is the rest of your life will suddenly start to make sense. And it's not a juggling game anymore. It's just pursuing the kingdom of God. And everything flows out of that. You know, it's funny, Jesus has come and brought this sort of upside down kingdom, but the more we learn about it, the more we begin to realize that, hey, maybe Jesus's kingdom is more right side up than we ever thought. Maybe we're the ones living in this upside down world. And then Jesus talks about uh, his righteousness. He says, pursue the kingdom of God, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So What does it actually mean and what does it actually look like to pursue the kingdom of God? And so I think it's important to key in on Jesus saying, and his righteousness. Be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us. Offer hope when there is none. Bring healing when everything is hurting. Offer help when things are falling apart. And this is a huge reason that I think that this is more timely than ever. Jesus gives us the example of ultimate generosity. A man who gave everything when there was nothing to gain. And so that's the example that we follow. When we pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it's actually a call to sacrificial generosity. To keep your eyes on Jesus and this kingdom movement, to be part of it, to start pursuing the kingdom through your own generosity. And what you'll find is that you'll begin to let go of everything that you've ever cared about. And you'll find that you are better taken care of than you ever have been before. This is our opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to look at those who are being treated as less than and those who are crippled by fear and to elevate them and to prove to them their value and to bring faith into a world crippled by fear. What I'm not saying is to simply neglect your family and give up everything. What I am saying is that this is an opportunity like many of us have never had before to sit down with our families and ask the question, what can we do? What can we bring to the table? How can we love like Jesus? You know, we ask the question, what would Jesus do? When we're faced with life's most difficult questions, like when you're offered a promotion at work that will pay more, but it will keep you away from your family, right? Well, what would Jesus do? Of course we ask then, what would Jesus do? 
but I'm saying that now is a time that many of us have never had before to really press in and ask, what would Jesus do? And we can see when Jesus came and he saw the sick and the hurting and the broken and the people who were taken advantage of and the people who were less able to provide for themselves and the way that Jesus interacted with those people and that all of this is following this overarching story of the kingdom of God. And we got to see how Jesus interacted in that. So now when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? Well, we're given a pretty clear answer. We can see exactly what it is that Jesus would do. And we can trust his generosity. And take a moment and honestly contemplate how you've seen God move in your life. And what specific ways he's shown generosity to you. And allow that to fuel you into pressing forward in a way that will prove to our communities and to the world that we're actually serious about this guy named Jesus and the kingdom that he said he was bringing to us. And I'm certainly not telling you that this will be easy. Jesus never tells us that following him will be easy. In fact, he tells us quite the opposite. But he certainly tells us that it will be worth it that we can trust him to take care of us even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it. That doesn't mean that he's not working. And then Jesus moves on from verse 33 and Matthew 6, 34. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough anxiety for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, Jesus never pretends like we live in a world that's not broken. He never pretends like our hurts and our pains aren't real. He fully realizes those things. But he's asking us to trust in the one who actually knows what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, when what we see our world covered in right now we see our world covered in people who are anxious about tomorrow. People who are panic-stricken by the thought of, what if? What if? I've spent so much of my life paralyzed by what ifs. And it's, it's honestly, it's a horrible way to live. So much fear, so much anxiety. And you know how often I'm right about my what ifs? Very, very rarely. Just, just about never actually. And if there's anything that I've learned about being a husband and a dad, it's that I'm very rarely right about anything at all. <laughs> so I guess there's that for whatever it's worth. But all that I'm doing when I'm surrounding myself in what ifs, and, and I begin to let the question consume my life, is I'm telling Jesus that I don't actually trust him with my life or the lives of those around me. Sure, bad things happen. And, and oftentimes there's nothing that we could have done to make any difference. Sure, we'll try to convince ourselves by guilting ourselves over all the things that we could have done different. But all we're doing is surrounding ourselves in more what ifs. What if I would have done this different? What if I would have thought about that? What if, what if, what if? At the end of the day, even though bad things happen, we don't know. 
Maybe God is holding back 99.9% of all of those things for our sakes right now. And we're only seeing a sliver of what could be our reality without him. What I've learned is that God is good. He's never given me any reason not to trust him. He is all sufficient for me. And I fully believe that he has tomorrow figured out. So it's not mine to worry about. And that means that I can live free. That means that I can live in a way that pursues his kingdom instead of my own. And I believe that through that, we will see the world radically transformed by love, compassion, and generosity that could never and would never happen without Jesus and his church. So in this confusing time, let's devote ourselves to being the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that so desperately needs him, especially now. And to those of you who maybe you haven't experienced Jesus in that way, maybe you've never entered into relationship with him. He's there for you. He passionately loves you. He gave everything for you. That's the story that we see in the cross that Jesus loves us more than we could ever, ever understand. And that he was willing to die for us, but that he defeated death and he rose again and proved to us in that moment, there is nothing, nothing to be anxious about. And he offers us eternal security in him, eternal life in him. And he doesn't make us work for it. He doesn't make us earn it. He says, I've done the work. All I'm asking, is that you give your life to me, that you commit to me, that you follow me and confess me as Lord. And in that instant, you will be saved. And you forever belong to him with nothing to ever worry about. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you still talk to us, that you still love us, that we still have your word. And we pray that you would move and use that in these times. And God, I ask you specifically that that you would encounter each of your children in a special and unique way, and that you uh, would move in ways that would draw us into being more like you, to loving the way that you do, to being generous the way that you are, and to uh, bring your kingdom to this world in ways that you would. God, we trust you with everything. We commit our lives into your hands. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.